whether we're talking about business, wellness, travel, or relationships. I've always thought age is just a number. Welcome to Ageless with me, Cynthia Raleigh, and my daughter, Kit Keenan. Let's just jump right in. Where did you grow up and when and how did you get started at Vogue? Wow. Back? That is that is far back. Um, <laughs> so I actually grew up in Connecticut, right outside of New York City. And how I even got interested in writing, which I think is hilarious, is that I have an older sister who's very enterprising, and she decided that she wanted to start her own newspaper. I don't know what inspired my dear sister Bridget to start her own newspaper that was only distributed to our family members. So there are five of us. She wrote a family newspaper. Um, And so at first she asked my older brother if he wanted to be the main writer of the newspaper. And he said no. So I was the only other option. There was three of us. And so she asked me to be the star reporter for her newspaper. So I would report on very serious topics, like whether or not my family should get a dog. Um, and and how did that work out? It worked. It worked. The op-ed <laughs> was very convincing. And we did actually get a beagle a few months later, um, whether or not um, they should have cuts for sports teams. And this was because I was upset that I made the B team for soccer and not the A team. So that's where it all started, right? Where I kind of realized the power of words that they could have. And then when I got to high school and I got older, you know, I kind of realized, oh, this is actually really what interests me like academically. So I joined my high school paper um, and I became senior editor of that. And then when I got to college, the first day on campus, there was like a club fair in the quad. First thing I did was sign up for my college newspaper. Um, And I went I went to Boston College and it was it was very lucky for me that they actually have one of the top newspapers in the country, which I didn't even know kind of at, at the time. But it was really just kind of a, you know, masterclass in junior journalism because you were reporting on things that were going on in your campus, which were very real and very serious, but also in the city of Boston at large. So I was basically doing low-level metro reporting um, as a 18, 19-year-old. And I covered some pretty, pretty serious stuff. I um, covered, like, missing persons um, on campus. I covered crime because there was break-ins. You know, I was talking to, you know, police officers. I was talking to senior officials on my campus. Um, There were some crazy, crazy things that happened when I was at school that I got to cover. And that's how I learned basically how to be a journalist and um, how to like even just write a basic article, how to do an interview, how to break a story, uh, how to even get sources, things like that. You know, that's what I first realized. Oh, this is how you talk to someone off the record. This is how you get on background information. I had to learn all that as a really, really young kid. Um, so wait, so now I'm just thinking. Yeah, I should have had you write the questions, and then I just ask the questions that you write, and that would have been much better. It might- <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think I think it would probably be remarkably hard to do a good interview on yourself. 
right? Um, oh, I don't know. Maybe that would be easier. I don't know. No, I think I think one of the great things about interviewing is that you can listen and you can respond and you can notice things about people that those people may not notice. Um, and so you can ask right. questions on that because when you're interviewing someone, you know, you're not supposed to portray how they think they are. You're supposed to how for, like present how they actually are to the world. So it's, I don't think, I think I would be a bad interview for myself. Oh, see, this is part of, yeah. this is a question I'm, I was going to ask mm -hmm. you a little bit later, but we could dive right into sure, it. Let's do it. Because I think that there, I think storytelling is so important in our culture right now mm -hmm. and it's a way to um, sort of uh, express that uh, how an individual experience and how you are as an individual. And, um, you know, for me, my narrative is is usually based around visuals, mm -hmm. but being able to, and so I'm totally in awe of the right of writers and and what you do, and um, and I just want to ask if there's, you know, are there any sort of uh, rules of thumb, or is there a structure, or a, you know, a, just any kind of tips for really great storytelling. Yeah, I think when I'm doing uh special like, you know, my assignments, um I think every every story is a micro story and a macro story. And this is probably something you experience in fashion too, where you find something, whether it's a and, and if you want to write about it, whether it's a beautiful dress or a beautiful vase or maybe it is something uh, uh bigger, like a person. And so, yes, you're writing about that individual object or that individual person, but you're connecting it to the culture at large, the macro story. And you're saying, you know, this is a story about one thing, but it's really a story about bigger things. And this mm -hmm. is something that I do all the time. And it's and you do you do it with you should do it with basically every story you write. As silly as it sounds, like if I do a story on a new alcoholic, a new um, non-alcoholic spirit that's really, you know, resonating with consumers and becoming really popular. It's a story on, oh, hey, this is why, you know, this non-alcoholic spirit is great. But what's the bigger reason of why people are buying non-alcoholic spirits right now? And it is because, you know, sober curiosity is a massive trend at the moment. Why is it a massive trend? So you take something small and then you kind of tell your readers, this is why you should care. Um, oh. This is why it's important. And I think that is so important because if you write a story and it's just, hey, I think this is cool and I think you should know about it, sure, but it's why your audience should care about it and why this is a story that is worth being told. I, I mean, that right there is mind-blowing mm -hmm. for me. I think that that's like, that's so much, it, it's so relevant to so many creative disciplines. Yeah. Um, let's talk about, well, let's talk about what you actually, what topics you cover at Vogue and what, what maybe what your favorite things to write about are, but you know, just all the multitude of, cause you really cover a broad I range. A of topics. Um, we, when, when you came and wrote about my house, mm -hmm. then you also write about travel and adventure and, beverages and food and oh other 
trends. And I think it's really exciting. Yeah. So my joke is that I tell everyone that I work at Vogue and everyone assumes that I write fashion. And that's like the one thing I don't cover is I don't write about fashion. So my official title at Vogue is living writer. Um, Living writer is kind of the fancy British word for lifestyle. But so I cover everything lifestyle, which is such a broad topic, right? So I cover homes, I cover food, I cover society and parties, I cover travel, and I cover design. And those are my main beats. But then also some other things fall into my lap about just the way people live. So when COVID hit, um, I was asked to do a lot of stories on um, like what office like office life would be like uh, when we came back. That was one of the assignments I got because the idea was that it fell into lifestyle because it's part of how we live. Um, and so I had to do a story on office life changing and also on transportation and how oh, yeah, how the subway was going to change and how that was going to get safer. So they made me do stories on commutes and offices and things that were kind of out of the traditional scope that you might think of lifestyle, but really just reflected on we thought, which is we want to write about the Vogue woman and the Vogue woman cares, you know, of course about her beauty routine and, and how she dresses, but she also cares about, you know, her life and things that affect her life and affect the way she lives. And all those things are what yeah. affects fashion in, in the end. So it does. Um, yes. I mean, so much has changed in one year We're we're coming up to one year mm-hmm. and um, I, I wonder how m- many things you think are permanent changes to our culture and i'm i'm wondering about travel like how you feel about travel right now and mm-hmm. how you think people will change the way they think about travel and and uh homes and i mean there's just been so so many things that have changed in in the last year and what you know what what do you think the major shifts have been and what are you excited about say post pandemic yeah so i'll start with travel because that was the first one you brought up is we're already seeing some immediate changes which is very interesting um this i think will be quickly reversed which is that borders closures right so we're all going (laughs) to domestic destinations because we can't go anywhere else but one of the most interesting things we've seen is the length of stay of an average luxury travel used to be kind of three to five days. Now hotels are seeing an average of nine days. And that's crazy because that's an average. And hotels have stories of people staying for three weeks, a month, two months, sometimes even three months at a time. So it's kind of this return of goodbye to like the weekend warrior, like quick whirlwind trip and to saying hello to I'm staying in one place and I'm staying there for a while. And part of the reason that's happening is now, and I think this is going to be a permanent change, is that people can work from anywhere, right? Yeah, that's so, that's the big difference. You know, I'm here talking to you in Los Angeles, and I've decided to live here for the winter and a little bit into the spring um, because my office is closed and I can do that now. And I think that's going to be a huge staying trend is that a lot of companies are realizing, hey, 
we don't need to have our employees into the office every single day. We're managing fine with them working remotely. And a lot of people realizing, hey, I don't actually need to live in the center of a metropolis for 12 months of the year where I only get to travel on the weekends. Um, I can work from Los Angeles. I can work from Austin. I can work from you know Miami. I can work in all these different places for a month at a time if I want to, and I want to immerse myself. So I'm seeing a lot of that, especially with my generation, is people are picking up and they're going on these workcations for a month or two. I have a friend who's going to give Austin a shot for three months. Um, I have friends that are working from right now from um, Salt Lake City. Um, I have people working from Vermont and they could live in, you know, these cities now. The cities are open, um, but they're decided to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to do both at the same time. So that trend, yeah. I think, is staying. I love it. I yeah. love it. I mean, I was the, you know, people would say if I went somewhere on vacation for more than five days that I must be bringing furniture. Like they just couldn't believe, you know, that I would ever stay more than five days. And, you know, we went to Egypt for Thanksgiving, you know, Wednesday to Sunday. Like that's how I travel. Yeah. You know, people would be, you know, yeah. oh, you never drop luggage. Well, no, because I only stay like four days wherever I am, you know. So, but I do think this whole idea of sort of decentralizing uh, these urban, this urban lifestyle that, and and I I see it in fashion, you know, mm-hmm. you don't need to be on 7th Avenue. First it was, you don't need to be on 7th Avenue. Then it was like, you don't even actually need to be in New York. And the whole idea that, you know, this, wherever you are is, is the, you're there because that's feeding your creative soul, you know, that's feeding. Yeah. No, absolutely. Especially for us in creative industries, it's so important because it means that there's going to be a more diversity of stories, right? Which is that I was New York based uh, and I was predominantly writing about New York things because I lived there and I could experience there and there could be something really, really amazing going on in Minnesota. Uh, but I didn't know Minnesota that well. I didn't know Minneapolis right very well, or you know Austin and all these other cities. Um, I, I I couldn't I couldn't apply the same expert knowledge on an Austin as I could on a New York. Um, and you know Vogue has freelance writers, and and we always try to tap those writers in the cities. But whether we liked it or not, is the majority of the writers were based in two places, New York or Los Angeles, and so therefore the disproportionate stories we're getting told were New York and Los Angeles. Now that I'm spreading out, and the same thing with fashion, that, you know, fashion was very heavy on New York designers and Los Angeles designers. Now that that's, people are realizing, okay, there doesn't need to be these really strict hubs anymore. Talent can be spread out more. That means that more areas can, you know, creativity can shine in them and more creative people can be highlighted and more creative people can emerge. And so I am here for that. I'm yeah. the geographic diversity when it comes to, you know, all fields, but especially creative ones. Well, and also the geo characteristics of each place, I think, it, you know, are represented that's represented in the work then, too. So, you know, somebody who's working in Detroit has a whole different point of view than someone working in Los Angeles, maybe or and all of it's valid. It's just the what happened in one year with 
all the rules of fashion. I mean, thank God. It's like it was out of necessity, but also thank, you know, out of boredom. Like we had to change and there had to be this like explosion of, you know, rule breaking so that, um, you know, all these voices could be heard and all this new creativity could be highlighted and shared. And, you know, it's, I just think, it's so, I think it's so exciting. I mean, that's for me, of course, there's so many terrible things that happened in 2020, but that is a real, it was a, I feel like it, it was a real uh, breakthrough, you know, the, the pivot and the reboot. And, you know, I, I think it's really exciting. Um, so when you think about your own travel, are you excited about any one place or well, I'm you know I'm, I'm waiting for that vaccine to kick in so I can I, I can I can get back to traveling the world and so I think I look back at my travel you know in late February before we knew COVID was going to be what it was I actually went to Namibia the desert and it was wow you know, most amazing experience in my life. But I didn't realize it was like the last hurrah of me traveling. That's, yeah, that's going out with a bang, right? Really. I know. When I get back and they're like, and you're grounded. Like, I, I can't go. And then, and, you know, rightfully so, um, uh, Condé Nast and Invoke had said, hey, you, you know what? We're going we're gonna to put a pause on uh, you writing about, you know, going on trips for, you know, like, you know, business trips um, that aren't drive to. Because, you know, it, it's unsafe for you to be flying everywhere, both for you and, of course, you know, the people like you can't be flying from, you know, Los Angeles where the pandemic is really bad to like another city. Just health wise, that's not a good, good idea. So I am doing drive to coverage right now where I can I can cover hotels or, or areas that, you know, I can drive to. And that has been really interesting because I'm getting to know my own backyard again. Um, which I like, because I think I was so focused on going to like these very far flung uh, locations that I wanted to tell everyone about and being in these undiscovered, you know, different countries or areas. And that was really great. But, you know, there's also been something to say of saying, hey, don't don't forget your surroundings because they're pretty great, too. And I think that was something that might actually carry through through my coverage, because you know, as this pandemic hopefully starts to wane, you know, something we do need to think about is, you know, climate change and our own personal carbon footprint. And, right. you know, taking four planes to go somewhere is fabulous for a le- once in a lifetime trip. But if you're doing that regularly, like that's really not that great for the environment. And it, it's, you know, you're making yourself have a really large carbon f- footprint. So you should be celebrating local travel. You should be excited to go to different places in your own country. And I think, you know, that's, you know, something that this pandemic has taught me. And I I, I think, you know, will continue to teach me. Yeah. I mean, I even think it's, it's new ways to think about being at home. Yeah. I really like, I'm, I know because I know you (laughs) that, we were going out all the time. All the time. And, it was a blast, but. And you just don't even think about it. And now I, you know, if somebody would have said to me a year and a half ago, like 
that's all going to go away. I'd be like, oh, what? I have no light. You know, I'd be like, what happened? Like, who am I? Yeah. Who am I? Yeah. And I have to say, you know, you, you, you slow down, definitely, uh, you know, have to kind of reinvent what your, your social life is like and your home life is like. And, and I think, um, you know, I think that it's, it's been like a really healthy and, and great change for me. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but I think I just, I'm, I'm curious to uh, hear about any, like if there's any big shifts that you think about that, you know, like people who were like us going out all the time and now they're at home, like any sort of anecdotal or any. um, Yes. I used to, you know, I did used to live a, a pretty crazy life where I remember I had my schedule and I would go out Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday and Monday, I was like, you must rest. But I was basically going out all the time, all the time. And, you know, I loved it. I had a lot of fun, but I would be going to like three to four parties in a night, which is almost insane. It is insane. And I would have friends who'd be like, hey, at least you want to grab dinner? And I'd be like, hi, sounds great. How does three weeks from now sound? And people were like, what the hell? Or they'd be like, hey, like, can you come to, you know, stop by my apartment for dinner? And I'm like, yes, I can stop by for 20 minutes in between these events. Yeah. And that was completely insane. Um, I also laugh is that, you know, I, I realize this is an unrelatable thing to say, but it is true, is that since I, you know, I, I graduated college and I started working at Condé Nast immediately, did Vanity Fair, and then I had Vogue. So my life has been like this since I was roughly 22. So I only owned one pair of sweatpants. One. I had so many dresses, so many going out clothes. And I had like workout clothes, but I really had workout clothes. And I only had going out dresses. So this pandemic hit and I had no sweatpants. I had one pair of sweatpants. (laughs) I mean... I would be like, now I have corrected that, thank God, because I was like, I need sweatpants. I would be working in like full work clothes because I didn't have anything else to wear. <laughs> and I mean, my feet used to be shaped like Barbie. Like I would wear heels all day at all day. work. All day. And then go out and just not even think about it. I haven't worn heels since March, I guess. Oh, like no way. Um, I've been wearing heels. No, I used to like my hair used to be like impeccable at all times. Like that has totally changed. Um, all my clothes, I, I I still kind of do this, but I used to have like a kind of work uniform where I always used just to wear like a midi dress, and my midi dresses would be like in ridiculous poofy cut. Like I love a good romantic puff sleeve. Yeah. So all my dresses would be like in like fuchsia with puff sleeves and like down to, you know, like blow my knees. And that's what I walk around New York city in. And I like, it was a blast. And I hope I get to do that again, but I leave my home like every three days now, like that dress has not been worn in two years. So that was my, it was fun rediscovering what my style would be if I didn't have Vogue in my life and what that would look like when everything was really pared back. Um, 
And I wasn't trying to impress anyone. I wasn't trying to live up to any expectation. I wasn't trying to get the attention of the photographer. What was I actually gravitating towards and what was I picking out? Um, and so that, that was kind of fun. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I used to race, race through the racks in mm -hmm. the you know, studio, like at 5.30 going, I have to be somewhere at 6.00. And like running through, like, how does this look? Does this do, is this okay? Like crazy, crazy. Yeah. And wearing it once and then you felt like you couldn't wear it again. And thank God, you know, I think that's another thing. Like vintage, you know, like wearing the same thing over and over is, it's like a whole reconditioning, I feel like, of all these things that we just took for granted, you know, yeah. like you're like, all of a sudden I'm like, I wear, I literally wear like the same five things. Hey, over what are your five things? What are the same five things you wear? Cause I have mine. I like, I have no idea. What are they? Yeah. Um, I have vintage Levi's, mm -hmm. um, a bunch of sweatshirts. Um, I have, uh, I mean, I kind of just a few like cozy cashmere sweaters and, you know, a, a swim or wetsuit if I can get outside to the, into the water. But like mostly it's jeans, maybe a sweat, sweat, like I've, you know, yeah. sets. And, and yeah, what, but okay. But seriously, yeah. What do you think is going to happen? Say we're all vaccinated. The pandemic's under control. Life comes back. Are we going to go crazy? Are we going to go berserk? Is it going to be like Weimar Republic, roaring 20s, scantily, you know, like bare skin? And, you know, is it going to go, are we going to go crazy? Or are we going to just kind of evolve to some sort of like sensible... You know, I, I've been thinking about that because I've also been thinking of, you know, as I buy clothes my, myself, you know, am I going to wear this and when am I going to wear this? So this is what I think. I think that everyone's going to get vaccinated and going out is going to be huge again. And that's going to be, you know, going out to dinner, going out to restaurants, um, you know, going to clubs. And I think the clothes are going to reflect that. I think that for so long, going out was an option, right, for us. And so I always kind of look back to, like, the days of, like, Studio 54 and what they used to wear to that club. And it would be like, excellent fashion. It would be, you know, like, Bianca Jagger and these amazing looks. And you would look at that. And there was more of, like, this nightclub fashion that was fascinating. If you went out yeah. to a nightclub in like right. 2018 like you would not say that's where like the fashion was in the world you wouldn't you wouldn't see that um and that's because there kind of became this i don't want to say laziness but so many people just were like i'm going out and i'm going to the club and i'm wearing black and that's it because it's simple and it looks good and it looks sexy and it's fun um but black is kind of boring, right? You, you do it because you know it looks good. But it's not that exciting. And so I think that's going right. to change, which is that now that going out, we had it taken away from us for so long, is this novelty again. 
will start dressing like it's a novelty again. It won't just be putting, oh, I'm putting on the black crop top and the black, you know, leather Ritzia leggings. And I say this is because, like, I wore this, so I'm not making fun of anyone who did. Like, this was me um, to the club. And that's what I'm going to wear. Now I'm like, okay, the club is an event. I'm going to go to the club. I'm so excited to go to the club. Like, I must have a look. I think that's going to return is having fun with the way you dress at night. And then I also think kind of the way we were conditioned so often is that um, for so many of us, we would be getting to the office at 9 a.m., you know, getting out at 5 or 6, then going on a happy hour. And so we kind of had these, like, day-to-night looks. Like, how many women's magazines have you read that, like, really went in on, like, 50, like, day-to-night dresses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, like, work to cocktail hour. dinner, isn't that what they call Because... We don't need to be in the office all day. Most of us are going to have a hybrid work schedule for two days, and then we're working out three days. So what are you going to wear? You know, you you don't need to dress for yeah. 12 hours anymore. You can dress yes. for four hours, a four-hour period, and you can have some fun. So it's almost like extremes. Like you may be at home in your sweats, and then you, like, click, turn the switch because you're going out. And I always picture that uh, party scene in Great Gatsby, right? Like, doesn't don't you want like that's the fantasy? That's the fantasy. So maybe it is this. It's like instead of instead of I think, especially in fashion, but in life, um, there's always been a balance of fantasy and reality. Like, oh, you know, it's sort of like a balance. Now it's like compartmentalized so that. Here's the reality. I got to be at home at work or I'm working. So I'm going to wear my jeans or sweats or whatever. And then the fantasy kicks in and you want color and fine and feathers and like sexiness. And I mean, also PS, everybody has been working out for a year, right? So they want to show that off. I mean, yeah, it, it got, well, it depends. The first couple months of quarantine, when I thought it was really short, I was just like, I'm just going to like hang out and I'm going to eat all this terrible food. And then I realized that like, this was going on for forever. And I like really needed to like figure out my fitness situation. But but isn't that fun, right? That we no longer have to wear like a Navy shift dress anymore. Like you always said, I always right. think about there's the clothes that excite you. They so excite you. And we all have those. There's the clothes that we love because they're staple, they're hero items, they're staples in our wardrobe, are like Levi jeans or that cozy cashmere sweater that you love because you wear it all the time. And then there's the funky things in our closet that we adore because they're they're crazy and they're our wild fantasy clothes. And then there's like the meh clothes. And they're like the navy shift dresses, like the cardigans all those things that we bought because they were like functional, but we didn't really like them. We just thought we needed them to exist in this world. That category is wiped out, which I love. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I never have to wear like a, like medium sized black pump anymore. Like I don't have to put that on. That can go. I can wear a flat and then I can wear like a stripper heel. Like I don't have a category for that shoe anymore, which Right. It's sneakers or stripper heels. Sneakers or stripper heels. Like I know I don't need like a work tote anymore. I can have a fun feather bag and then, you know, some kind of like my New Yorker tote that I'm going to go coffee with. I don't need some like work bag. 
that doesn't need to exist. But also I think a lot of it has to, is sort of tied to self-expression yes. because you almost feel like I don't, I wouldn't have to be going to a club. Like I might be at Trader Joe's in some crazy feather dress just because I feel like it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I don't think, you know, clubs sort of imply like you're, you know, you are in an urban area or you're, you know, like you have this lifestyle or that lifestyle. Maybe you just love that and you're just going to wear it to, you know, uh, pick your kid up at school or something. I don't know. You know, I, I think in a way the, the fantasy also extends into where you're, you know, you feel comfortable wearing something like that. I mean, fashion at the end of the day is self-expression, right? And so you wear what you want and what is fun. And that's how you should always dress is what, you know, you like. I think that we basically went a year when, you know, fashion was put on hiatus because we couldn't go anywhere and we couldn't express ourselves through our clothes unless basically we were shooting ourselves for Instagram, but most of us weren't really doing that. So now anytime you get to go out is going to be kind of an adventure in self-expression. It may not be the nightclub. Maybe you're going to a great new restaurant and that might be something you could be going to any sort of event. Well, and I think so much, uh, we also have been on our phones mm-hmm. on social media, whatever so much too, that, like I actually learned how to do my own hair and do my oh, own, yeah. you, you know yeah. what I mean? Like you can do you own everything, which we never, we never did that, you know? And now you, you see uh, makeup tutorials that are exciting and you want to try it out. You know, it's like, there's so much more. It seems like there's been more experimentation. There's more information available out there. And again, like people are just, uh, you know, like put it, putting out, you know, their own creativity so much that, you know, you kind of, it's inspiring. Yes. It's inspiring. And, and one of the great things about social media in terms of Instagram and also TikTok and YouTube is there's been kind of like a democratization of getting, you know, what is fashion? What is style? What is my look? Whereas it used to be that, you know, I remember when I was a teen, I would read teen people and I would read 17 magazine. And that's where I would get my fashion advice from. That was it. But now, and, 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 you know, those magazines were great by the way, but you know, they didn't reflect every teen's style. Um, they couldn't, they were just one magazine. They were two magazines. And now if you were trying to discover your own style, there is such a wide variety of resources and videos that you can go to. Uh, Vogue just did this amazing series and we called it Growing Up in Style. And it was kind of how a lot of our editors who are, you know, the best dressed humans on the planet when they were kids actually weren't fitting in with like teen style because it wasn't theirs. You know, my one colleague, Sarah Spellings, moved to Texas when she was, you know, a kid from Bangkok. And all of a sudden she was trying to deal with cowboy boots. And then I have another, you know, colleague who moved to Florida when she was a teen, but she wasn't a Florida girl. Um, But teens now, you have such access to all this different fashion. You can see fashion in Tokyo, in Shanghai, you know, in Dallas, in all these cities around the world and be like, 
that's what I want to look like. And that's my style. There's no, you know, there's not as many gatekeepers anymore. Yeah. The gatekeepers is a huge part. I mean, that's probably the difference between print and digital, you know, how it's, that's something that's evolved and changed so much. Um, And the immediacy, you know, of that. One thing I love about fashion is how it's changing is it used to be what you should wear, you know, and that was the age of, there was like hot or not comment, comment like a Holmes, right? Now, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, what you should wear, it's what can you wear? And so it's saying, here are all these beautiful, crazy things. It may not be your style. You may not like it, but you can see it. Right. And I love that way of looking at fashion. That it's not telling people, you need to look like this or you need to dress like this. It's saying, how do you want to dress? And we can show you people that are the tastemakers for it. I mean, I guess that's how I would say the the voice of Vogue has evolved through the years. You know, it really went from saying this is, this is, this is the way you should look to, you know, every option like that. Like you say, I think it goes for home decor and design, yeah. you know, design of all kinds too. I think, by the way, I think that not fitting in is sort of intrinsic for everyone that has great style. There was, there's always the awkward, the, I don't fit in that, that sort of feeling I think is, is always in everyone's story that has great style. Yeah. I I think, I think so too. And I think you're onto something, which is that basically there's always going to be trends and there's always going to be trends and the true people who have style are just every day wearing what makes them happy. Yeah. And when you're doing that, that's how you get someone with great style. We can look at different people we admire as style icons, and we can tell that they are wearing things that they love and they're wearing them consistently. Um, like one of, you know, Vogue's most famous writers, Lynn Yeager, oh, yeah. who you know, has had such a distinct style for so long. And she's not getting swayed. Yeah with all the different trends that come out there. Um, and I think that that's actually the key to having great styles. And we all kind of succumb to it. You know, sometimes I will buy something because it was trending and I think it's my style and then I get it and I'm like, oh, what is this? Um, this is a beautiful clothing I- item and it is definitely some people's styles, just not mine. But I bought a um, Jacquemus cashmere bra oh, yeah. because I thought that was my style. It's <laughs> not. It's not. I don't wear that. Like Hailey Bieber wears that, and she amazing, looks great, right? Well, she anything she wears, amazing, but, like, yeah. but I was joking because I think I think that piece of that piece of clothing that is meant for someone in Los Angeles where the weather is like great and they're in cars all the time and they're like going out to trendy restaurants. When like my life was like I was in New York, it was freezing, and I took the subway, like wearing it open cashmere bra was like not the right choice for the girl who's taking the C train every morning. Like that's not, that's not me. I feel like I'm always inappropriately dressed for the weather though. I don't know. Sometimes it's just like this, you know, not, not being accept. I'm not accepting, you know, that the weather isn't uh, cooperating with my idea of what I want to wear that day. And so I just wear it anyway. I don't know. Oh, I do that too. 
Well, let's just go right into uh, just if you can just give a little piece of advice for mm-hmm. um, young people that want to get into fashion and writing and, um, you know, what would be your best piece of advice? Yeah. So I get this question a lot from young people. And I a lot of times I get it through like Insta- Instagram DMs. Or, you know, if I'm speaking, they all ask me the same things. And they say, I want to work at Vogue. You know, how do I get there? And I say, well, what do you want to do at Vogue? And they can't answer that question. Because there's so many things you can do at Vogue, right? You know, we have our fashion department. And those are the people who are in charge of going to the fashion shows and picking what clothes are in the magazine. You have me, who's a writer, who's in charge of, you know, writing, getting assignments from editors and, and writing stories about, hotels about new home items you know sometimes about these fashion pieces um we have people who do public relations at vogue who are publicizing the met gala we have the you know events planning department on vogue who are planning the met gala we have people who work in visuals who are tracking down the next new tyler mitchells you know we have so many different departments and that require specific skill sets and so my advice is that it's not, I want to work at Vogue. That should not be the end game. It should be, I want to do, I want to be a writer. I want to be a fashion editor. I want to be a designer. I want to be a photographer. I want to be a writer at Vogue. I want to be a photographer at Vogue. Once you pick what you actually want to be, your 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 occupation, what you want that skill set to be, that's how you get to a Vogue. So people say, oh, oh, how did you get to Vogue? How did you get there? And I would like my honest career path is that I knew I wanted to be a writer since I've been 13. Um, so I, you know, wrote all throughout college. Uh, then, you know, I, I graduated and um, I'd got an internship my senior year at Condé Nast. Um, and then I worked as an assistant. I had basically the Devil Wears Prada job, not to not to Anna or anything. I was at I was at Vanity Fair all the time, but I was doing a lot, a lot of grunt work. But at the same time, I was learning how to write from the editor that I was assisting. Uh, so I had to do be an assistant for three years, and it was only then after I had like years and years and years of writing under my belt and professional writing under my belt that I could work at Vogue because they had a writer job open that I had to submit writing samples for. Um, so that's how I ended up at Vogue is that I, I, I don't want to say I mastered a skill because you always need to keep learning, but I worked really, really hard at one specific thing that Vogue was hiring for. Right. So, so many people say they love fashion. That is great. But if you want to work in fashion, you have to figure out what you actually want to do to contribute to that industry. And as you know, there's so many things you can do. You know, think about all the people at your team. How many people work at Cynthia Raleigh doing a million different things? It's all categorized as fashion, but are all very different. Yeah, I think, it, you know, sometimes it's maybe because the the uh, the uh, like the type the the brand is bigger the brand is what people know. So the people know Vogue, but they don't ever think like what, you know, what 
all these people are doing. They do, they only see the glamour and the glitz and, you know, the Met. I want to go to the Met Gala yeah. and they're like, Ooh, you know, Anna. And of course, you know, these things are all very, very exciting. But everyone who's at Vogue is there because they have a specific skill. Everyone who's at Cynthia Rally has a specific skill. And so at first it's less, I want to work somewhere. Focus less on where you want to work and more on what you want to do. Because once you learn what you want to do, that's how you get to these big companies. That is brilliant advice. That's so, it's really, really smart because you, no one ever says that just as succinctly as you just did. Um, not to reinforce uh, the, the, the thing that we just said people are so enamored by, but um, now there was no Met Gala this May. So sad. But that's only one. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen this year either, right? You know, that is, as so many things are, it's still just, you know, a question mark. We will have to see. Yeah. I have to say, Mm -hmm. I've been in the past, it's the most exciting, most glamorous, most honored, you know, to what an honor to be included and to be able to go. It's really something that is the ultimate fantasy, I would say. Um, do you just give us a little bit of your, like a little recap of, of what it's like for you to be there? Yes. Yeah, so I've been to two Met, Met Galas. First one was Heavenly Bodies, Fashion in the Catholic Imagination, which was in 2018. Uh, and the second was camp, you know, notes on fashion. Oh, yeah. Both were spectacular. Um, but I always, I do remind people that I'm actually working these events. And so everyone thinks that like, I'm like, you know, drinking a cocktail with Lady Gaga. Like that is not true. Um, I usually get to the, the Met around 1 p.m. the day of the event um, to help, you know, start to, you know, get ready and set up. And um sometimes I'm doing like really really easy tasks or not not easy tasks but simple tasks like um making sure that um, the security knows who works at Vogue because we have a, pro- a problem with crashes right so I'll get there at one and I'll I'll be able to say oh hey this person works at Vogue they can come through they can come through or you know we have no idea who this person is um and then I'm doing a lot of writing during the event so I'm inside I'm taking notes on the scene. I'm helping photographer. We have um, photographers who are inside taking pictures. I'm, you know, watching the photographers, helping them get their shots. Um, uh, so when you go to Vogue.com that night or the next morning, uh, you have something to read about it, even if you weren't there. That's mostly what I'm doing is kind of content for the, the website. Um, but it is, it's a crazy night. Let me tell you, the fashion is just, the most insane thing you've ever seen and seeing these clothes in person is just it's it's a mind-blowing visual um i remember seeing katie perry and her chandelier outfit and that was one of my favorites because there was a bunch of um kind of hubbub in 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 the office a little bit before because we need to make sure whatever katie perry would wear would fit through the door right (laughs) (laughs) what would happen right if she wore this beautiful outfit but it was wider than the door frame 
So right. we have to be like, wait, are the specs? And this just goes beyond Katy Perry because so many people wear ridiculous yeah. things. Being like, do they know the specs of the door so they can actually maneuver through the right. through the, the mat? Like these are things that you don't think you need to think about, and then you very much need to think about knocking um, over Egyptian statue statues on the way to dinner or something like that, breaking something with. Can you get through the door? Is actually a question that many many Met Gala attendees need to ask themselves. Um, but and isn't that amazing? Oh my God, that's so, like who, that's amazing. And I do love a lot of them have uh, problems with the cars, whereas their 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 gowns are too big to fit yeah. in a car. So I remember one year Blake Lively had this fantastic train and I believe she had to rent a, like, a, like an actual like, party bus because her train was so long that it couldn't just be stuffed in a normal I think I took a sprinter van exactly dress and had to stand. It's, right. Yeah, you have to stand. Yeah, I think she needs to stand too because the when you're committed to these looks, you know, you're committed. And this is you know fashion's big night, and so you want to make sure nothing is wrinkled, nothing is torn, everything looks picture perfect. Uh, so that that is the amount of planning that goes in beforehand is also quite fun. Um, to make sure that this spectacle is actually happening. Well, um, another thing measurement yeah. you might have to think about, because I remember it happened to me, um, the width of the stalls in the ladies' room, because yeah. I remember thinking, like, do I have to get completely undressed to just use the restroom? And I kind of did, because that's, <laughs> you guys couldn't fit in there, you know? Or it's, like, over your head and your you know, I don't know. Yeah. You would know more than me because I we have a little bit of like a staff headquarters at the Met during the night that has its own bathroom. So we, we're using that one. Um, but you went into like the main party bathroom. Like I'm pretty sure people like maybe just don't close the doors. I would feel like I am. No. I would know. No, you don't close the doors. It's, it's just... like it's like there's too much clothes in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and it's always so fun. We, the, when you, you work the event, you do get to, you know, borrow a dress from a designer, which is always an experience. Oh, um, and usually they like to dress the, you know, Vogue employees in kind of a similar color scheme, just so we're easy to identify. Um, and so, you know, I think for Heavenly Bodies, a lot of us wore gold. Um, and then for the, you know, camp notes on fashion uh we wore gold or like pink a lot of gold or pink and I wore a um I think my my first Met Gala I wore an Oscar de la Renta dress which was amazing and my second one I wore this uh I wore more queso with all these feathers oh um, amazing you know what I was gonna wear on the third one but you know oh <laughs> it'll, it'll all be back and it'll, it'll be, be back bigger and more fantastical in every way and I can't wait and I can't wait because I think that we're all going to have such pent-up energy for whatever parties are going to happen in 2022 are going to be Gatsby-esque yeah I totally I feel like people are gonna go to parties on stilts and you know I don't know crazy crazy thing crazy things oh I can't wait me neither um 
Okay. And then the last question is one that we ask all our podcasts. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm so happy that you guys got to listen to our stories today. As always, you can follow us on social media and keep up with our work and our crazy adventures. Then you can follow us on Instagram at Cynthia Rowley and at Kit Keenan. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 